Blog Talk Radio. Friday, everybody. Welcome to the Michael Cutler Hour. I am your host, Michael Cutler. It is Friday night. It's November the 18th, 2022. I thank you for joining me. Always happy to join you to catch up on the latest lunacy that has uh, beset our country and our fellow Americans. Uh, The news this evening is quite somber. I I don't know how many of you have been following um, the story, but three Border Patrol agents came under fire by alleged drug smugglers, two agents wounded, one Border Patrol agent is dead. Now, if you didn't read the story, I will ask you, where do you think the shootout occurred? Was it along the border with Mexico in Texas or Arizona, New Mexico, California? Where in the world do you think Three Border Patrol agents were shot and seriously wounded, one of whom killed in point of fact. Where do you think it happened? We keep hearing about the Mexican border every five minutes. And I don't care if you're going to listen to Fox News. I don't care where you go for your news. Crisis on the southern border. Crisis on the southern border. Again and again and again. The southern borders, ladies and gentlemen, is about 2,000 miles long. Guess how many miles of border in total the United States has? More than 100,000 miles of border. Yet somehow, 2% of our borders are all that we need to be concerned about if you listen to the nonsense being spewed by just about anybody and everybody who can get in front of a microphone or a camera. Now, let's be clear. That Mexican border is a disastrous threat to national security. What we're witnessing on the Mexican border is absolutely an invasion. No equivocation. By the way, invasion is something that the states are supposed to be protected from by the federal government under Article 4, Section 4, where it's laid out that the states are to be provided with a Republican form of government and protected against invasion and domestic violence. Certainly, the governors of Texas, Arizona, those who say we've we've got an invasion underway are right. An invasion. Is it dangerous? Absolutely. Spoken about it. I've written about it. I've testified before Congress about it. There have been hearings in 2018, in point of fact, about how Hezbollah, the Iranian terrorist group, is operating with thousands of agents across all of Latin America, working with human traffickers, drug smugglers, often one and the same, to flood narcotics and people into the United States, including sleeper agents. Can't be more dangerous. Is the Mexican border a problem? Absolutely. But by telling you that it's only 2% of our border, am I trying to minimize the significance of the Mexican border? Absolutely not. But that's only the appetizer for the main course. By the way, the Border Patrol agents who were shot were shot off the coast of Puerto Rico, thousands of miles away from Mexico. 
This goes back to the point that I keep making. We are a nation of 50 border states. And, yes, some journalists are finally using that phrase, but they're saying it because what they're telling you is, well, the aliens who get through that Mexican border head for the rest of the country. Very true. I make the point that we're a nation of 50 border states because aliens and cargo enter the United States in every state through international airports, through illegal landing strips along the northern border, and along America's 95,000 miles of meandering coastline, all provide access to America by America's enemies, adversaries, criminals, etc., etc., etc. And that's the point that's been ignored and continues to be ignored. I was watching a news report about this horrific shooting of the Border Patrol agent, And it was part of the story about the crisis on the Mexican border. This did not happen on the Mexican border. Let's get over it. Because what they're, I think, trying to set us up for the politicians from both parties is somehow the notion that, well, we'll secure the Mexican border, and now we need a massive amnesty program. I was just listening to two um, politicians, Henry Cuellar and another politician from upstate New York, I believe, who was a congressman Republican, well, the agriculture industry needs the workers, and, you know, on and on. And then they play Chuck Schumer. You've got to love Chuck Schumer. And Chuck Schumer personifies why I would rather we had term limits. I never used to agree with term limits. But you have to always keep your mind and your eyes and your ears open and consider possibilities. Chuck Schumer just ran for re-election. The candidate who ran against him never aired a single commercial. I don't even know if it's a man or a woman. And in this wacky age, maybe that candidate doesn't know either. God help us. But the candidate's last name was Pinion, P-I-N-I-O-N. How did I find that out? When I went to vote. Well, of course, I voted for Pinion, even though I'm a registered Democrat, because I've had it with Chuck. I met with Chuck when he was a freshman congressman back in the 80s, and his arrogance was Palpable. It was off the charts. Just as a brand new congressman, and in those days I was working with New York senior Senator Al D'Amato to create the aggravated felon reentry law that made, <clears throat> pardon me, reentry by criminal aliens a felony with a max of 20 years in jail. It used to be a two year crime, no distinction made about criminal history. <clears throat> and Al D'Amato could not have been more generous with his time or with his efforts. And he pushed that legislation through under the Trump administration. In point of fact, unlawful reentry by criminal aliens was the most frequently prosecuted felony by the entire Department of Justice. <clears throat> and and D'Amato couldn't have been nicer, more down-to-earth, more humble. And when I met Schumer, and he gave us hours of his time, Schumer's arrogance was just oozing from every pore, and he's only gotten worse. And why shouldn't he be arrogant? Because he is perceived, forgive me, his seat is perceived by the uh, Republicans to be, quote, a safe seat. Now, what does that mean? Don't even bother running against them. You can't possibly win. So they put up a candidate with questionable qualifications. No money. No nothing. The sacrificial lamb. Well, we could say we put up a candidate. And I, and I helped coach a couple of candidates in the past who ran against Schumer, and it's always the same story. 
and you get no money, no backing, and there's no expectation by their own party that they have a snowball's chance in hell of winning, so why bother? So we wind up with people like Chuck Schumer and all these others, both sides of the aisle. This isn't a one-sided issue, folks. You know, it's both sides where the parties throw their hands up and say, well, that seat's lost <clears throat> because the guy's been there forever. Is that a qualification, longevity? What did he accomplish? And he comes out today and says, well, we need to admit all these immigrants, dreamers, and millions and millions give citizenship to the 11 million or more, give everybody citizenship. Why? birth rates were in decline. Now, just stop and think about the enormity of the statement. First of all, do we really need more people in the United States? Seriously. More and more jobs are being lost to automation and artificial intelligence. You know, the days of the assembly line with thousands of workers in grease-spattered coveralls laboring away on a workbench to manufacture cars is gone. Yes, there are people working in the factories, but most of the employees are robots, not people, robots. So why do we need people? Schools are overwhelmed. We have a problem with the environment. I've been talking about this forever. There's a serious drought in the West, and they're saying it's only going to get worse. In California, they're telling people to get rid of their lawns and get rid of their shrubs and stop watering the plants. By the way, it's plants and trees that can clear out carbon dioxide if you really buy into climate change. And frankly, I'm very skeptical about it. I've read enough material by enough scientists with qualifications to be taken seriously who completely challenge this whole deal. But that's besides the point. Nevertheless, we're being told that no watering of plants, don't fill your swimming pools. If you go into a restaurant, they can only give you water if you ask for it because we have a drought and it's only going to get worse. And lakes are, are, are drying up and, you know, dead bodies and car wrecks that have been lying under the water for how many years are being exposed as the water levels continue to plunge. Every person who's here needs 100 gallons of water per day, according to studies that I've read. So if Biden let in $3 million, and God only knows what the real numbers are, figures don't lie, but liars can figure, let's say the number is $3 million. That means every single day, Monday through Saturday, every single day, we are losing 300 million gallons of water to people who shouldn't be here. It's staggering. Do the math. If he, in fact, is responsible for the admission of 3 million people, each person needs 100 gallons of water per day. You're talking about 300 million gallons of water every day being used by people who have absolutely no right to be here. Sorry. This isn't xenophobia. This isn't being mean-spirited. It's just being a realist. If you were going to throw a party and you say, gee whiz, I want to invite my family and my spouse's family and my friends from work, and then you sit down and you say, oh, my goodness, that's like 100 people. We don't have a budget for 100 people to come to our house. Our table, even if we bring out extra tables, we can't accommodate 100 people. Maybe we can accommodate 35 people. 
So you sit there with your red pencil and you start crossing people off the list of the people you were going to invite. Not because you dislike them, because you started out wanting to invite them, right? These friends and family, people you like, people you want to spend time with. But being a realist, understanding limitations, what did Clint Eastwood would say is Dirty Harry, a man's got to know his limitations, right? Well, I guess we're going to have to get rid of this guy and that gal and this couple because they haven't invited us in two years and and you finally make your way down, and, and you get rid of two-thirds of the people that were on your list. Not because you're xenophobic, and not because you're antisocial, not because you don't like them, and not because you're evil and mean-spirited, but because you understand you can only fit so many people in your house, <clears throat> and you have a budget that allows for any, only so many people to sit around the table and perhaps have turkey for Thanksgiving. We have limitations. You get on an airplane, you have to have a ticket because you can't have people standing in the aisles. It's not like a New York City subway car. God help anybody who gets on a subway car these days, by the way. It's become a rolling homeless shelter in New York, a free fire zone, except if you have a carry permit in New York. Our brilliant governor said, oh, no, no, we have to protect New Yorkers from New Yorkers with guns. Really? Try protecting New Yorkers from criminals with guns, not from people who have carry permits and have training and have been uh, you know, scrutinized, have gone through a, 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 a vetting process. The world is upside down and backwards. By the way, just as a, a quick note, and it, and it turned my stomach, if you've been following the story about the sheriff's recruits who were training and mowed down by a driver going the wrong way, interestingly, the first part of the news report was he was not drunk. Wouldn't you like to see toxicology on anybody who does a mass shooting or any shooting? If there's a car crash and someone dies or someone loses a leg, the first thing that's in the report, the guy was drunk, the guy was high, or the guy wasn't drunk. And in this case, they said, no, he wasn't high, and he blew a zero-zero, no booze in his body. So they believed that this was a willful attempt to mow down and kill law enforcement officers. He's been released. You heard me right. He's been released. Apparently, they couldn't get the paperwork in order within the required 48 hours, so he's been released. But they plan to look for him again. You have an entire department that can't get a bunch of people together and figure out the paperwork and, 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 and get the paperwork done to the point where you can bring this guy into custody? I know as a federal agent, if we had to move, we would work through the night. I had days where I slept on the floor of the U.S. Attorney's Office, so we made sure we had a warrant within 12 hours. And you would see it routinely. Signs on the doors of, of the offices at the U.S. Attorney, agents sleeping, do not enter. We would put our coats on the ground if it was during the winter, and we would curl up on the floor and go to sleep. And when everything was in order, they'd bring us coffee, maybe a little breakfast out of consideration. You know, do not feed the agent, Right. And we'd get the warrant and go do what we had to do. 48 hours was not enough time. So this guy who mowed down a bunch of sheriff's deputies, a couple of whom were seriously injured, I read one report that said that at least some limbs had been lost, devastating injuries, <clears throat> but they couldn't get their act together. So this guy is on the loose again. God knows, maybe they'll give him an award after all. Law enforcement, you know, we're, we're the bad guys. I say we. I spent 30 years as a federal agent. I, I, I will always consider myself 
from that perspective with, with great pride. We've lost our collective minds as a country. So here's Chuck Schumer saying, oh, no, 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 no. If America's going to be great, we need millions of people. Let's give citizenship to those 11 million or however many it turns out to be. I've said it before, and I'm going to quickly run through this with you again. The 11 million number has been around for 20 years. In 2018, before the human tsunami crashed on our shores, thanks to Joe Biden, Mayorkas, and the other incompetent and, and corrupt politicians, um, they claimed that Yale University and I think MIT estimated over 22 million, more than double the 11 million. And I think that was a very low number. You have aliens making false claims to citizenship. You have police departments ordering their people to not discuss place of birth or citizenship with people they arrest. Really? You'd want enough the guy's an alien if the guy's in jail for murder or arson or, or some very serious crime, and let's say he or she is sentenced to 15 years, 20 years, 25 years in jail. Wouldn't it be nice to deport them once they get out of jail so they can't hurt anybody else? It starts with identifying who here that's in jail isn't a citizen and can be removed once they finish their jail time. God forbid we should deport somebody. I mean, listen, it doesn't matter if the guy's a child molester. He had a rough time of it as a kid, so too bad for the kid that he screws up or kills or the families that they ruin. I mean, that's where we are today. I'm a lifelong registered Democrat. These are not Democrats. I've come to call them deathocrats. So Schumer's worried about dwindling birth rates. Well... Why don't we look at all the people that are dying also because of drugs and crime, et cetera, et cetera. We're talking hundreds of thousands. And if you're worrying about birth rates, then why are we sterilizing children in the name of sexual identity and how stupid are the parents that are turning their own children into science fair projects? Madness. So we're sterilizing the next generation of Americans and Schumer's running around saying, well, see that the birth rates are down. We have to import millions of people. Do we really? When you're stuck in traffic, when you wait eight hours in the emergency room or 20 hours in the emergency room at a local hospital, God forbid, when your kids are overwhelmed by kids in their class who can't speak, read, or write English. And this isn't xenophobia. It's about resources being allocated to educate our kids. The Congressional Budget Office did a study back around 2006, and they estimated that it costs 20 to 40 percent more to educate children who are not English proficient. But let's bring in millions of more non-English proficient students so we can make certain that American children will never have the opportunities because they can't get the education they need. <clears throat> so much for Lincoln's notion of a government of the people, by the people, and for the people. By the way, Reagan's uh, amnesty back in 85 was supposed to involve one million I was there for the briefing. It turned out that we wound up with they claimed three and a half million, which is another big fat lie, because what Mr. Reagan really gave us was probably 20 million, because everyone who gets legalized can immediately bring in all their children and all their spouses. So if an average alien has four or five kids back home and you give them lawful status, they immediately have an absolute right to bring those kids here along with their spouse, presuming they're not already here. Let's say that the actual number of illegal aliens is 25 million, and let's say each would have on average four kids, 
you're looking at the influx of 100 million children. And it's not just Latin America. You know, somebody wrote an article, or a comment to my article, oh, they don't have 100 million kids in Latin America. Well, this isn't about Latin America. Because this is for any alien who's here illegally from anywhere in the world, including countries that sponsor terrorism. Doesn't matter. Afghanistan, Pakistan, doesn't matter. So you're talking about 100 million kids coming to America with green cards, here permanently, immediately enrolled in schools that are crumbling and overwhelmed. But what does Chuck Schumer care? Because his agenda has nothing to do with what's in the best interest of America or Americans. It's a political agenda. George Washington himself warned about the political parties. Here's what George Washington had to say about political parties during his farewell address. However, political parties may now and then answer popular ends. They are likely in the course of time and things to become potent engines by which cunning, ambitious, and unprincipled men will be enabled to subvert the power of the people and to usurp for themselves the reins of government, destroying afterwards the very engines which have lifted them to unjust dominion. You know, it's remarkable. It's absolutely remarkable. I'm following this whole thing with the Hunter Biden computer scandal, and the Democrats are making this all about politics, you know, they could go after Trump with a vengeance, and they could say that, that Hillary actually won the election in 2016, but it's Trump who was the election denier. It's incredible. Al Gore was the denier in 2000, but, you know, don't, don't say that. It's all about, you know, about Donald Trump. And I, I don't, you know, I, I have mixed feelings about Donald Trump. You know, I, I don't idolize anybody in politics. I don't trust anybody in politics. Normal people don't aspire to that kind of position or power. But my goodness, to be running around and saying no one's above the law and we have millions of illegal aliens in the United States being treated better than our army veterans, but no one's above the law. The president's son, if you look at all the evidence that's been slowly leaking, appears to have had a very corrupt and unhealthy and unwholesome relationship with foreign governments, including Ukraine and China. But if you dare say anything about it, You have to be attacked. But meanwhile, we're told no one's above the law. You have mayors and sheriffs ignoring immigration laws, refusing to abide by detainers that were lodged by immigration back when immigration actually did its job under Donald Trump. And they did it with impunity, but no one's above the law. You have sanctuary cities shielding and harboring illegal aliens from detection by the federal government, which under Title VIII, United States Code Section 1324, is a felony aiding, abetting, inducing, encouraging, harboring, shielding, transporting. Nobody's above the law. The hypocrisy is off the charts. Off the charts. The president's son has that kind of relationship with China, and if, in fact, the president himself is caught up in it, do you not think he's compromised? I could not accept a cup of coffee when I was on duty from anybody. The politicians take money with both hands. Both hands. You have Congressman Swalwell admitting that he had a sexual relationship with a hooker who was involved with the Chinese intelligence agency, and he still has a seat in Congress and still sits on the Foreign Relations Committee, but no one's above the law. 
could you imagine if an immigration agent or an FBI agent had that kind of a relationship with a spy? Not only would they lose their job, they'd probably lose their freedom and wind up in jail. The Swalwell is out there larger than life doing his thing. Don't forget, nobody's above the law. So we're told we're supposed to focus all of our attention on the Mexican border, and, and probably it'll be the same nonsense they tried in the past back in the 2005-2006 era, and I testified before a bunch of hearings about it. Once we secure the Mexican border, then we can deal with the people who are here. And we're starting to hear those rumblings already. You know, you almost have to believe that everybody is all in on both sides of the aisle, right? Remember, the Republicans would not, would not give Donald Trump the money to construct the border wall. So when people say, well, the Republicans are finally in control of the House. Wow. By the way, when George Bush, George W. Bush, was given enough money to hire 800 new immigration agents, he cut that number down to 143. When he was given enough money to hire 2,000 Border Patrol agents, he cut that number down to 210. He was given enough money to purchase 8,000 detention beds. He cut that down to 1,700 and, and whatever. And it was the Republicans who reached out to me and said, Mike, you're not going to believe what the president just did. You want to come testify. Sheila Jackson-Lee, and I testified to Sheila at two hearings also, called out Bush and said, what the hell are you doing? This is national security. If they're here illegally, they could be terrorists. We need to be able to detain them. We need the agents to do the investigations. But principally, it was the Republicans who said, Mike, We've got a problem with the president and his immigration policies. Please come to Washington and testify to provide a counterpoint to the president of the United States. And it wasn't just one member of Congress. It was Jim Sensenbrenner. It was John Hostetler. It was Lamar Smith. These were all Republicans. And they were concerned about the policies of the administration, even though they were from the same party. And they did right by America and Americans. They didn't say, oh, the president's a Republican, and we're Republicans, so he gets a pass. No. In fact, they called me up and said, we're losing our minds. You've got to help us. Please come to D.C. It was a hell of a responsibility. Kids from Brooklyn going to Washington to call out the president of the United States. And by the way, I was told that whenever my name came up in the Oval Office, when I testified before Congress, when I appeared on national TV, Bush would have a meltdown and start screaming obscenities. I only wish I had a video tape of that. So now we're already hearing the noises. Well, the agriculture industry needs the foreign workers. Maybe we need a Bracero program. Well, we had that kind of a program, and it failed and, and it crashed and burned in the 50s. But, but here's the point. The immigration laws do provide for the granting of visas when workers are needed and Americans are not available. And that's fine. But if you're going to do something like that, then you need to have ICE agents who can go out there and make certain that the aliens who come on visas to work on farms, for example, actually go to work on the farms and don't disappear into the woods. Because we've had cases like that. You know, when I talk about immigration, I'm speaking from real-world experience, not because I had a brain spasm or something crawled into my left ear, and now I think I know what I'm talking about. Back in the late 70s, we had an incredible situation where a bunch of agricultural workers from Jamaica, the Caribbean, from Panama, had all um, come to the United States 
to work in the um, citrus groves of Florida and the apple orchards of upstate New York. And either they didn't show up or they got they went to work there, and three weeks later they said, oh, my God, this is more work than I can deal with. I'm leaving. So they left. They were already in the country. We didn't have anyone to go look for them. And then they got involved with a different form of agriculture, marijuana and ultimately cocaine. There was super violence. Some of them actually enlisted in the United States Marine Corps, aided and abetted by recruitment officers who were short on their quotas, and they needed to enlist a certain number of people. So they actually provided a fake identity documents to these agriculture workers from, from the Caribbean. And as soon as these guys got tactical weapons training, they went AWOL, they stole their guns, and they were carrying out commando-style bank robberies all over New York City, turning some banks into a bloodbath. So we put together an ad hoc group. We didn't have task forces back in the late 70s the way we do now. And we wound up working with ATF. We wound up working with, in those days, it was Naval Intelligence who oversaw the Marines. Now it would be Office of Naval Investigations or Naval Investigative Service, NIS. <clears throat> and, we, and we worked with the New York City Police Department. And we rounded up a whole bunch of these knuckleheads, put them in jail for murder, attempted murder, weapons violations, immigration law violations. The recruiters were arrested and prosecuted, and we got them off the street. But not before a lot of people were wounded and killed. If you don't have interior enforcement, then you can't be bringing in hundreds of thousands of people to do a guest worker program with no one to oversee it. It doesn't work. It doesn't work. We only have a couple thousand ICE agents because of the way that Bush put DHS together. And John Hostetler was adamant about it. In fact, it's worth considering what, what Hostetler had to say about the way they configured the Department of Homeland Security under George W. Bush. He was outraged, and I testified at this hearing at his invitation in point of fact. This is John Hostel, a Republican from Indiana. And in fact, not long afterwards, the Republican Party defunded his campaign. I went down and uh, volunteered to help with his reelection campaign in Indianapolis, in Indiana, rather. I mean, this is crazy stuff. But this is what Hostetler had to say in part. <clears throat> The first two subcommittee hearings of the year, by the way, this hearing was held, and he was chairman of the House Immigration Subcommittee. This was May 5th, 2005. May 5th, 2005. What, 18 years ago, roughly. Um, the Homeland Security, oh, no, I'm missing my, yeah, okay. The first two subcommittee hearings of the year examined in detail how the immigration enforcement agencies have inadequate resources and too few personnel to carry out their mission. The witnesses mentioned the lack of uniforms, badges, detention space, and the inevitable low morale of frontline agents who were overwhelmed by the sheer volume of incoming illegal aliens. If this were not bad enough, the immigration enforcement agencies also face internal confusion resulting from dual or multiple missions in which immigration is all too often taken a back seat. Sadly, sadly, contrary to Congress's expectations, Immigration enforcement has not been the primary focus of either of these two agencies, and that is the subject of today's hearing. And the two agencies was ICE and CBP, Customs and Border Protection. Hostetler went on and said the Homeland Security Act enacted in November of 2002 split the former Immigration and Naturalization Service, or the INS, 
into separate immigration service and enforcement agencies, both within the Department of Homeland Security. This split had been pursued by Chairman Sensenbrenner based on testimony and evidence that the dual mission of the INS had resulted in poor performance. I know I had many meetings with Sensenbrenner's people. I was one of the people that they were listening to. And he goes on and says, there was a constant tug of war between providing good service to law-abiding aliens and enforcing law against lawbreakers. The plain language of the Homeland Security Act, Title D, creates a Bureau of Border Security and specifically transfers all immigration enforcement functions of the INS into it. Yet when it came down to actually creating the two new agencies, the administration veered off course. Although the service functions of the INS were transferred to USCIS, the enforcement side of INS was split into what is now Immigration and Customs Enforcement, or ICE, to handle interior enforcement and Customs and Border Protection, CBP, to guard our borders. ICE was given all of the customs agents, investigators, intelligence analysts from the Treasury Department, as well as the Federal Protective Service to guard federal buildings and the Federal Air Marshals to protect our airplanes, and finally INS investigators. CBP was given all of the Treasury Customs Inspectors of Ports of Entry, Agriculture Inspectors from the Department of Agriculture, and INS Inspectors. At no time during the reorganization planning was it anticipated by the committee, meaning the Committee of the Judiciary, that an immigration enforcement agency would share its role with other enforcement functions, such as enforcement of our customs laws. This simply results in the creation of dual or multiple missions that the act sought to avoid in the first place. Thank you, George W. Bush, okay? And host Tetler goes on and says, failure to adhere to the statutory framework established by the Homeland Security Act has produced immigration enforcement incoherence that undermines the immigration enforcement mission central to DHS that undermines the security of our nation's borders and our citizens. It is not certain on what basis it was determined that customs and agriculture enforcement should become part of the immigration enforcement agency except to require federal agents at the border to have more expertise and more functions. It is also unknown on what basis the federal air marshal should become part of this agency, especially since it's been revealed that their policy is to not apprehend out-of-immigration status aliens when they're discovered on flights. If the mission of the Department of Homeland Security is to protect the homeland, it cannot affect its mission by compromising or neglecting immigration enforcement for customs enforcement. And I'm just going to read one more paragraph, and it's critical. Listen carefully. The 9-11 terrorists all came to the United States without weapons or contraband. Added customs enforcement would not have stopped 9-11 from happening. What might have foiled al-Qaeda's plans was additional immigration focus, vetting, and enforcement. And so what is needed is the recognition that, one, immigration is a very important national security issue that cannot take a backseat to customs or agriculture. Two, immigration is a very complex issue, and immigration enforcement agencies need experts in immigration enforcement. And three, the leadership of our immigration agencies should be shielded from political pressures to act in a way which could compromise the nation's security. And by the way, he threw that in because just about everybody put in charge of DHS had zero immigration background. Thank you, George W. Bush. It's both parties. As Host Etler said, Bush gave us immigration incoherence. So the fact that we have the same leadership in the Republican Party now in the House of Representatives and in the Senate <laughs> gives me cause for pause. I'm not excited. Not hardly. 
and we're going to hear this nonsense. Well, we're going to secure the border, but now the compromise is going to be that we're going to have to give legal status to millions of people whose identities can't be verified because there's no way to interview millions of people. There's certainly no way to do any field investigations. Doesn't work. Doesn't work. But already the noise is starting. The, the agriculture industries have a need for foreign workers, right? A foreign need. So here we go. Now, the 9-11 Commission staff report on terrorist travel was a separate report issued by the staff of the 9-11 Commission. These were the federal agents and the attorneys who were assigned to the 9-11 Commission. They published a report that was published by the government printing office. I make that point because this is an official report. The preface begins by saying that it is perhaps obvious to state that terrorists cannot plan and carry out attacks in the United States if they're unable to enter the country. You would think, right? And then it says, yet prior to September 11, while there were efforts to enhance border security, no agency of the U.S. government thought of border security as a tool in the counterterrorism arsenal. Just stop for a moment. Were we hiring gerbils to run these agencies? They couldn't figure out that if you want to prevent a terrorist attack, you need to prevent the entry of the terrorists? I mean, is this rocket science? Who in the world are we hiring to run our federal agencies? Mo, Larry, and Curly, the gang that couldn't shoot straight? But nevertheless, it goes on and makes the following point. Indeed, even after 19 hijackers demonstrated the relative ease of obtaining a U.S. visa and gaining admission into the United States, border security still is not considered a cornerstone of national security policy. We believe for reasons we discussed in the following pages, it must be made once. Notice, they're talking about visas. They're not talking about the Mexican border. What do we keep hearing about now, the Mexican border? We hear about the Mexican border when three Border Patrol agents are shot on the coast of Puerto Rico, and immediately the story is the Mexican border. Why? I think we're being set up by the politicians from both parties so they could then say, look, we have to have a compromise. Yes, they're going to compromise our security and our lives. That's what they're compromising. And let me tell you how serious immigration fraud is. My very first time before Congress was back on May 20th, 1997, four and a half years before the attacks of 9-11. And the focus was on visa fraud and immigration fraud because of two terror attacks carried out in the United States in 93. Deadly shooting at the CIA in January 93 by a guy by the name of Tansy, a Pakistani who had applied for political asylum. And then the first bombing at the Trade Center in, Jan in February of 93. So we knew immigration fraud was the big issue. What are we doing about it? Focus. And by the way, what does a secure Mexican border have with the capabilities of citizenship and immigration services to scrutinize applications to give green cards and perhaps a citizenship a pathway to citizenship to aliens who evaded the vetting process and entered in stealth mode? We don't have any agents to conduct the field investigations. We don't have enough adjudicators to interview people in person. And it only took 19 hijackers on 9-11 to kill more people than we lost to the Japanese fleet at Pearl Harbor on December 7, 1941. And again, the sense that I'm getting is that we're being set up for another run at amnesty. That's how the Dreamers came about. Basically, the Dreamers was the amnesty program twisted sideways, oh, we're going to do it for the children, but the age cutoff was in their 30s. And why was it in their 30s? Because 
demographers determined back then that 90-odd percent of the illegal aliens were less than 40 years old. So it was a rebranded amnesty that they couldn't get through two times previously. In fact, I wrote an op-ed for the Washington Times. Jeff Sessions liked it so much back, I think it was 2006 or 2007. I renamed Comprehensive Immigration Reform the Terrorist Assistance and Facilitation Act. More recently, I have said that any such legislation should get a second name, the Overwhelm America Act. And, and, and I fear that this is where we're headed, that there will be an agreement that we've got to secure the border, and then they're going to say, but in exchange, we're going to legalize 100 million aliens by the time we're done with all the kids that get brought to the United States. And again, I ask, why do we need more people here at a time when we're concerned about the environment, we're concerned about inflation, we're concerned about education, we're concerned about health care and epidemics, we're concerned about the economy. And meanwhile, more and more jobs are being automated out of existence. Massive numbers of illegal aliens don't tend to have graduate degrees. Do we need more people on welfare? Do we need more children in our schools who can't speak, read, or write English? Do we need more gang members in the United States? Because that's what happened with Mr. Obama's unaccompanied minor program. We had a massive influx of MS-13. I began investigating MS-13 around 1992, and it was a very small problem in the United States. It was basically a pimple on the back of an elephant. And by the time that the unaccompanied minors program ran its course, we wind up with MS-13 in roughly 40 of our states. And most of the people who were killed attacked, intimidated, injured, are members of the ethnic immigrant community because that's where these characters live, work, and ply their supposed criminal trades. But Schumer stands there and says, we need to bring in more people because the birth rate is down. We don't have enough congestion on the highways, folks. The waiting line at the hospital isn't long enough. The shortage of doctors is not severe enough. The shortage of food, now there's a shortage by the way, of amoxicillin, according to a report I just saw, it blows my mind. It blows my mind. And as far as immigration fraud is concerned, let me read this to you. This is important. This, again, comes out of the 9-11 Commission staff report on terrorist travel. Once terrorists had entered the United States, their next challenge was to find a way to remain here. Their primary method was immigration fraud. For example... Yusuf and Ajaj concocted bogus political asylum stories when they arrived in the United States. Mahmoud Abu Alima, involved in both the World Trade Center and Landmark, plots received temporary residence under the seasonal agriculture worker program after falsely claiming that he picked beans in Florida. Mohammed Salome, who rented the truck used in the bombing, overstayed his tourist visa. He then applied for permanent residence under the agriculture worker program but was rejected. Iyad Mahmoud Ishmael, who drove the van containing the bomb, took English language classes at Wichita State University in Kansas on a student visa, after which he dropped out and remained in the United States out of status. By the way, agriculture visas, let me tell you how much fraud was involved. We had cases where thousands of aliens all claimed to work on the same farm, and it was a very small farm. If all of these aliens showed up for work on the same day, they would have to stand shoulder to shoulder on the ground that they claimed they were farming. Think about that. 
And I remember two very, uh, well, they're humorous if you have a twisted sense of humor. Story one, I was being driven into the city, and I think I was going to be on either Fox News. It might have even been MSNBC. There was a time that they, they actually did good, solid reportings on immigration. I did more appearances on MSNBC in the early uh, 2000s than probably any other network. And so this guy with a heavy Middle Eastern accent was driving me into the city, and I played stupid, and I said, oh, where are you from? That's an interesting accent. He said, oh, I'm from Lebanon. And I said, well, is it hard for you to make the papers so you could stay here? He says, oh, no, 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 super easy because President Reagan was an idiot. Well, that warmed my heart to hear that. I wasn't a big Reagan fan, sorry to tell you, but that certainly did not please me to hear someone from another country insult one of our presidents that way. And I said, well, how foolish was he? He said, well, you know, he allowed agricultural workers to get green cards. I said, right. He said, so one of my friends was here, and he claimed that he worked on a farm, and they immediately gave him a green card. So he called us up in Lebanon. He said, come to America, lie about when you got here, and tell him you worked on a farm. And you could probably get some farmer to sell you some, some paycheck receipts, and you could claim you worked on a farm and you get a green card. I said, that easy? He said, let me tell you how easy it is. I'm not the only one who came from my village. My whole village now lives in the United States from Lebanon. And every time we have a barbecue, we drink a toast to Ronald Reagan and his, am and his uh, amnesty for farm workers. None of us ever went to a farm, let alone worked on a farm. Item number two. We arrested an individual for major narcotics trafficking, and he was trying to plea bargain with us to become an informant. So we're trying to find out if he's honest and trustworthy, other than the fact that he's a drug dealer. You know, we're, we're going to let him work for us and get a reduction in sentencing because he's going to help us put a lot of very bad people behind bars. That's how it works with informants. You know, nobody would eat sausage if they saw how it was made, and dealing with informants, well, it's kind of like the same sort of thing. So this guy is sitting with us in, in a big conference room with his lawyer. I'm there. My immigration partner is there. The FBI is there. DEA is there. New York City police are there. And um, some state prosecutors are in this big room. There must have been 25 of us in this room. And it was my turn to question this guy because we took turns questioning him so that we could all be satisfied that he was worth taking a risk on. And I said, you know, if you lie to me about anything, it's over. He said, I know. I said, how did you get a green card? He said, I worked on a farm. And I thought, uh-oh, here we go again. I said, what kind of a farm did you work on? Now, you're not going to believe this, folks. This is a true story. He looked at me and he said, agent, I worked on a watermelon farm. And <clears throat> I, I couldn't resist. And I asked him, how tall were the ladders that he had to climb to pick watermelons? Now, those of you who don't know how watermelons grow, if you've never been on a farm, they grow on the ground. I mean, think how big and heavy a watermelon is. These are big suckers, right? They don't hang on trees like oranges or apples, I promise you. They grow on vines along the ground. So I asked this guy, how tall were the ladders? And without missing a beat, he said, let me tell you, the boss I worked for was a cheap bum. Those ladders were rickety, and every time I climbed 30, 40 feet up on those damn ladders, I was convinced the ladder was going to collapse and I was going to die. 
it was impossible to not laugh. Needless to say, we did not use this guy as an informant. It was clear that he was a pathological liar. He should have run for Congress, perhaps. Nobody could believe it. Everybody in the room just broke up laughing, and they looked at me, and they said, leave it to Cutler to figure out the right question to ask these jerks. Gathering watermelons from a 40-foot ladder. Oh, my gosh. But the guy had a green card. I reported it to immigration. I hope they took his, his, his legal status from him. I don't know what happened afterwards. I moved on to other cases, but I certainly made a report of it. But this is commonplace. And the more people get away with lying, the more it emboldens more people to commit more fraud. And again, think of what the 9-11 Commission said. And, and, and finally, I, I want to read one more statement from the 9-11 Commission staff report on terrorist travel about the dangers of immigration fraud, if I can find this one quote. Yes, here it is. This is page 98 of that same report. Terrorists in the 1990s, as well as the September 11th hijackers, needed to find a way to stay in or embed themselves in the United States if their operational plans were to come to fruition. As already discussed, this could be accomplished legally by marrying an American citizen, achieving temporary worker status, or applying for asylum after entering. In many cases, the act of filing for an immigration benefit sufficed to permit the alien to remain in the country until the petition was adjudicated. Terrorists, terrorists were free to conduct surveillance, coordinate operations, obtain and receive funding, go to school and learn English, make contacts in the United States, acquire necessary materials, and execute an attack. And already the grumblings are starting about how we have to legalize the people who are here. My gosh, it takes my breath away. After 9-11, do you remember, if you were old enough, how many of the politicians of all, all sides and from all levels of government, local, state, federal, pounded the podium? Why didn't they connect the dots? They recommended going to Hollywood to figure out how the next plot might be carried out because they're creative. How creative do you have to be when you've let millions of people into the country without a snowball's chance in hell of figuring out who in the world they are? It's outrageous, beyond words. And every day this is the new normal. But we're not looking at the rest of the border system. And by the way, just before airtime, I was watching Fox News. The report was about how fentanyl is being combined with other deadly drugs, making it even more deadly. If it wasn't bad enough what China has done to us, making it more deadly. And it's being sent to the United States through where? John F. Kennedy International Airport in the mail. In the mail. So I want you to understand something. They're not mailing the drugs directly to the consumer that's going to use the drugs. They're mailing it to Kennedy Airport to members of the drug cartels who operate throughout New York City. I know. I investigated and arrested these pieces of trash as an immigration agent because for half of my 30-year career with the former INS, I was involved with narcotics law enforcement. First, from 19... 88 to about, 19, to about 1992, 1991, I was the first immigration agent assigned to the Unified Intelligence Division of DEA, the Drug Enforcement Administration. 
And then I was promoted to senior special agent and assigned to the Organized Crime Drug Enforcement Task Force. So I had desks at DEA, the FBI, ATF. I, I worked with city police, state police, foreign governments, including Israel, and the Royal Canadian uh, Mounted Police, British Customs. We all worked together. Again, I'm not speaking out of conjecture. And when I heard what happened on that boat, you should know I was the Marine Intelligence Officer in New York, and I did shipboarding with the Coast Guard looking for stowaways and contraband back in the 80s. And I know how dangerous these assignments are. New York is the trifecta of border states. New York State shares a border with Canada. New York State has a large coastline and seaports, and New York State has multiple international airports. New York State hits the trifecta. In fact, it was recently estimated uh, by Pew Research back in 2018 that New York City had the greatest number of illegal aliens over any other city in the entire United States of America. Now, when you think about Puerto Rico, let me tell you what, what I can tell you. When I was uh, an INS agent, we frequently encountered illegal aliens from the Dominican Republic, and occasionally Haiti, but mostly it was the Dominican Republic, and their method of entry was to take a boat or a small plane into Puerto Rico covertly, just like you're seeing here, the smugglers of Puerto Rico, and once they got to Puerto Rico, they're in the United States, so all they had to do was take a domestic flight from Puerto Rico to New York City. Puerto Rico is very much part of our border system. But even as the news was reporting today on this horrific tragedy, the wounding of, two, of three Border Patrol agents, one of whom died, it was part of the larger story about the crisis on the Mexican border. This is madness. Why are we only looking at the Mexican border? I'd like to know what the visa refusal rates are for aliens coming in through international airports. If the Republicans are serious about stopping the insanity, then they need to subpoena the records to see what the rate of admission is at our airports, to see what the rate of visa issuance is at consulates around the world. I promise you they won't do it. I challenge them to do it. I ask you, call up your congressmen, call up your senators and say, look, Mexican border. the Mexican border has got to be protected. That's not a question. We're not arguing about it. We're in agreement. But if the Mexican border was airtight and a fly couldn't get across that damn border, 9-11 would have happened exactly the way it happened. The Boston Marathon bombing in 2013 would have happened exactly the way that it happened. The San Bernardino terror attack would have happened exactly the way that it happened. These individuals did not run the Mexican border. That's not to say don't secure it. We must secure the damn border. But we have 100,000 miles of border and then some. The real key to all of this is interior enforcement, to go after the fraud, to go after the crooked employers, to go after the crooked lawyers, because what we now have is an immigration delivery system that delivers an unlimited supply of cheap, exploitable labor. And it's not just the illegal folks, it's the high-tech workers. American programmers and technicians and engineers and scientists are losing their jobs to foreign workers because they work for less money. 
they're being granted visas to displace American workers. Think about that. And when I confronted Bob Goodlatte about this when he was the chairman of the judiciary, and Goodlatte is a Republican, but he is an immigration lawyer who specialized in H-1B visas, and he brazenly, first he didn't want to have the conversation, said to me that his son would love to see thousands and thousands and thousands of brilliant Indian programmers come to the United States and get jobs. And I said, one of the Americans chopped liver. My first wife died tragically of cancer more than three decades ago. She was a brilliant programmer. Phi Beta Kappa graduate, MBA in computer science, member of the National Math Honor Society. Most of her colleagues and most of the people who worked with her, she had a team of 30-odd programmers and engineers under her at the time. She was an incredible woman. And I said, so these are the people now losing their jobs. They're being displaced by Indians. Why are we allowing this? I would have imagined that as the chairman of the judiciary, your concern would be American families, American workers, American industry, to make certain that we don't lose intellectual property theft by bringing in people from other countries. We refused to continue the conversation. I looked up Bobby Goodlatte's son, Rob, uh, Bob Goodlatte's son, Bobby Goodlatte. Look him up. He got his start with Zuckerberg at Facebook and made a ton of money by importing and hiring programmers from other countries, principally India. So when people say to me, well, at least now the Republicans are in charge, not so quick. Not so quick. We need to make them accountable. They need to be, uh, pardon the pun, housebroken. They need to know that we're on to these games that they have been playing for decades that has caused us horribly in terms of national security, public safety, public health, and jobs and wages and opportunities for hardworking Americans. These individuals who are in politics need to know we're not the blithering idiots that they've been playing us for. We got into this mess because we didn't pay attention and we didn't take our job seriously as the employer of these political characters. That has to change. That has to change. We have rampant crime. We have rampant narcotics. We have catastrophic death rates. And you have to wonder if maybe the funeral industry isn't paying off the politicians because they've never had more business than they have now. How is that in the best interests of America or Americans? I always make the point that democracy is not a spectator sport. Thanksgiving is coming. I hope you all have a wonderful Thanksgiving dinner next week. But when you sit down with your families, please have the conversation. Don't be confrontational. You win more flies. My mother used to say you win more flies with sugar than vinegar. But the idea you attract more flies with vinegar, with honey than vinegar. But please have those conversations. I suggest that you forward the links to my articles and my podcasts to as many of your friends and family as you can. Have those conversations. Enjoy your dinner. But let's take our citizenship really seriously because we stand at crossroads. And this is the work that all Americans must do because democracy, as I like to say, is not a spectator sport. See you next week, folks. Be well. Stay safe. Happy Thanksgiving.